Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Cade Richards, and I'm the campus minister here at the Lions for Christ. And here's how I wanted to start this morning. So we've read a few verses. We're going to be looking at Mark uh, chapter 1 this morning. And so this is words from John the Baptist. He was kind of a wild man out preaching in the wilderness. And so if we fast forward past John just a second, I want to talk about uh, just kind of this little instance where Jesus later on is talking to his guys, his disciples, and he says to them, what did you guys go out there to, to hear when you went to listen to John the Baptist preach? And it's kind of this weird saying, and he says, did you guys go out there to see a reed waving around in the wind? And what he meant by that was, did you guys go out to listen to this guy speak and just mark time? Did you just go sit out in the grass and watch it blow around and just kind of were there? He said, or did you go out there to see a guy that was dressed in fine clothes? And kind of the rhetorical answer is, no, you didn't. You knew John wasn't going to be dressed nice. You, knew, you didn't go out there to be entertained and just see this guy that looked really good. So this morning, I have a question. You know, why are we here? Are we here to just watch 30 minutes go by, kind of just watch a guy talk and say, yep, I did that? Or did we, are we like John? Do we come here this morning to hear a word from God? So did you come here this morning to hear a word from the Lord? So uh, I've been thinking about this past year. If you're like me, you know, the old 2023 is winding down pretty quickly. And so I'm kind of reflecting on this past year. But again, if you're like me, I'm starting to think about 2024. So I'm starting to think about you know, hey, what are my New Year's resolutions? And it's kind of this hope in my mind of what could be. I think that turn of the new year always in my mind is like, okay, what could be in 2024? So, you know, are you thinking like me? After I absolutely crush some Christmas food, it's no carbs January 1. You know, is it paleo, keto? What is it for you guys? Are you thinking about like better sleep schedules, better daily routines? Or maybe you're thinking about, man, I'm going to work really, really hard this year, and I'm going to get that promotion at work. Maybe it's a financial goal that you're hoping to reach in 2024. So what is it that we're hoping for in 2024? So here's what I can't help but wonder. If we heard these words from John, this guy kind of proclaiming, hey, the Messiah is coming, if we heard these words like the original hearers heard them, if we heard them the way that they were supposed to be heard, I can't help but think that I personally, you personally, will be changed. That our families might be changed, that this church might be changed, and in turn, this whole city might be changed. But it's going to take, I'm going to say it, a reorientation. And so I'm going to jump into the text so you guys can kind of see what I'm talking about. Oh, I've got to have the clicker here. First time. Okay, I'm going to read this text. We've already read it once. Thank you to the guys that read these, but here we go. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So as this says, this is the beginning of the gospel, and the gospel is a very churchy word, and all that really means is the good news. And there's a thing about good news. Good news only really works if it's in context. So I personally, I shot a really good buck with my bow about a month ago. And there was people coming up to me and they were congratulating me. And if you are hearing me for the first time this morning hearing that news, you're like, whoop de doo man, you shot a buck. And so to convince you guys of how big a deal that is, I'd like to take you through about a 20-minute slideshow of pictures of me and this deer. And don't worry, I've worked in some of my greatest high school sports accomplishments as well. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because Rachel wouldn't let me. She said it was immature. I don't know. But how awkward would that be if I was up here and for like 15 minutes in, I'm like, and this is me, my junior year making a diving catch. It would be super awkward and you guys would have to sit through it. But here's, here's kind of the point I'm making. Back to the buck, what's really important in life. That buck means nothing. It's just a deer. I mean, we're in Arkansas. People kill, kill deer all the time. That buck meant so much to me and it only makes sense in the context of how bad my summer was. So I am 32 years old, and I had to have back surgery in September. I basically spent all summer, probably 95% of my day was either lying down or laying in a reclining chair because I had like horrible sciatic pain, and I really wasn't able to do much at all. And so people were congratulating me, I hope, not because I killed a good buck, but because of what that buck represented that I was able to get back to life, that I was able to get back to doing the things that I love to do. That's why that buck meant so much, as much as I would love to, you know, spend 30 minutes showing you all my greatest accomplishments. And this stuff works for movies, too. Do any of you guys, do I have any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Yeah? The rest of you are like, no, we only watch The Chosen. We're Christians. So, for me, I love The Lord of the Rings. And so if if you've seen this and you can work in whatever your favorite movie, you can place this here, the context is the same. But what if I were to say, hey, don't, hey, no need to watch those three movies. I'll tell you the whole story right here. So Gollum and Frodo, they get in a little tussle, and Gollum, he kind of wrestles the ring away from Frodo, but in doing that, he falls into Mount Doom, and the ring is destroyed. Boom, Lord of the Rings right there. Would that be a good telling of the story? No, it would be a horrible telling of the story because it makes no sense. There's no context of this full story that gives it its meaning and its strength. 
You know, we don't have the elves and the dwarves and the shire and friendship and loyalty and wars. All of these things that make what I just told you significant. And I think that we do the same thing in Christian culture. We give this truncated, shortened version of good news. Hey, you know, Jesus saved you from your sins. Sweet. That's really cool. Hey, the long-awaited Messiah has come. It's Christmas season. I don't know what that means, man. And so I want to jump in and kind of give us a picture of our story, just like this text that we studied today, not Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the text that we looked at earlier, this text that we studied today. So the second verse in Mark chapter 1 it's this echo of Isaiah. So it is Isaiah 43, but we have to understand what this would have meant for the original hearers. So that verse in 1-2, when it talks about it, yes, it's quoting Isaiah 40, but it also has echoes of other biblical passages. These up on the screen that you guys can check out if you're note takers, hopefully a few of you. And this really captures the essence of God's people, the Israelites. So it kind of echoes Exodus. And in that book, what happened was, man, we have a whole group of people, the Israelites, who were slaves for generations. You go up to an Israelite dude and you're like, hey man, what do you do for a living? There's probably going to be one answer. I'm a brickmaker. Oh, okay. What about your dad? Well, strangely enough, yep, he was also a brickmaker as mandated by Pharaoh. Great-grandfather? You guessed it. Yep, brickmaker. So for 400 years, we have people that were just oppressed and in slavery, and then God swoops in with a mighty hand and quite literally frees them from slavery and leads them out of Egypt. So these people that would have heard this quote of Isaiah in Mark, they would have been thinking back to that. They also would have been thinking about Isaiah himself. So if you fast forward to those people who were led out of Egypt, then they go into a time when they're ruled by judges, these chieftains. And then later there's a king. A king comes and they're formed into a kingdom, God's kingdom. And they kind of rise in this golden era of Israelite or Jewish history. And they have this kingdom, this huge kingdom. It's got a southern kingdom of Judah, northern kingdom of Israel. But then comes this guy, Isaiah, and he says, hey, I know that we're kind of in a golden era, a good time for Israel right now, but you guys are, your hearts are wandering from God. And there's going to be a time where God will judge you for that, but eventually he will restore you. And so then we get to the last part, Malachi. What has happened since Isaiah to Malachi is significant. That judgment has come. Israel's enemies come in, they swoop in, they destroy the capital city of Jerusalem, destroying the temple, and then they take those people and they haul them off into exile. And so if that doesn't mean much to you, I want you to put it into context for yourself. For us, that would be like China coming in, you know, burning the White House, destroying Washington, D.C., and then hauling us back to China, and that's where we're living now, a defeated people living in a foreign land. So Malachi comes in and he's preaching to the Israelites in that sense. And he's saying, hey, 
there will be a true king arise from among you that will restore you. There is hope on the horizon. So why did I rattle off all these Old Testament verses that you're like, dude, move it along. I got reservations for lunch. Because I don't want you guys to miss this. This grand story of humanity, and it is a grand story, it's been building and building and building, and it has a climax. And the climax of the human story is when Jesus enters stage left. That these verses were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And everything has been building up to this. The long-awaited King is here. Your long-awaited hope is arriving. And so here's what I want to say this morning. What you have been waiting for has arrived. That is as true for the Israelites that heard this in Mark 1 as it is for us. If you can accept it, what you have been waiting for and looking for has arrived. And this is a weird thing. But this story is essentially saying that the God of the universe put on human flesh and walked among us. That God became human and was born. And so why this weird saying in this verses that we looked at today? Why this weird saying about sandals? So it says, And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. So this was, uh, in this time, teachers were highly revered. And so this was not even a task. This was such a menial task, kind of a disgusting task, that students wouldn't even do this for their teachers. No one wanted to take off someone else's shoes. And so you have this rock star, John, who's gathering people. Tons and tons of people are coming from all over to hear this dude preach. And they're like, man, John, you are crushing it today, bud. Like, you are really bringing the word. And how does John respond? He says, hey, there's one that's coming after me I'm not even good enough to lace up the guy's sneakers. You may think I'm good, but I'm not even good to take the dude's boots off. And essentially what John is saying is, hey, I'm not the main character of this story. I'm just a supporting actor. This story is not about me. This story is about Jesus. So I think the text puts this question to us this morning. Have I been living as if I'm the main character in this story? Do all my plans, you know, we're talking about getting into the new year, you know, thinking about what we're going to do, our plans, like what we're going to do daily, what we're going to do yearly. Do all those thoughts revolve around me? Yeah, I deserve this. This is what I want. I'm going I'm to pursue happiness and personal gain in this way. Do all those thoughts and plans, do they revolve around me? Or does our life point to one that's better? So if you're thinking, whoa, whoa, <laughs> okay, that might be me. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of running through, like, 
what I plan on doing in the next year. And really, all of that stuff revolves around me and my personal happiness, my personal goals. Well, I think this text is so good for us this morning. It's good for me, and hopefully it's good for you. There are acts that we can do as listed in the text, and they're simple, simple acts of reorientation. So we have confession, repentance, forgiveness, and baptism. And so let's work through these really quick. The first one is confession. Confession is really simple. It's just real simply admitting that I have been living my life as I personally see best. So do we do this? Do we act like a good Christian so that we can get people to say, hey man, that, that Cade Richards, he's a good dude. Like, he's really solid. Or, do we need to confess that we've lived, lived as the main character? I'm trying to live as a main character, doing what I want to do to get the most out of life. How I personally see best. And that may be from things like drink, might be from things like I'm trying to be the best and get the most prestige at work. Maybe it's padding the bank account so that nothing can really touch us. It's like we fill the safety and security blanket through finances. Maybe it's building our legacy. Man, this, this life's about me. I've got to build my legacy while I'm here. Maybe it's future plans. Whatever it is for you, that we are the center of all those thoughts, dreams, plans, and hopes. And confessing is simply saying it, it's, it's not about me. I'm realizing that this life is not about me. What about repentance? The biblical definition of repentance is simply turning 180 degrees because you are trusting that maybe God knows better than you do. So it's, I was going this way. Ooh, that wasn't the best way. Don't turn 360 because you'd be going the same way. <laughs> And here's kind of where we put some, some meat on the bones here. I think when we get into repentance, this is when I like to talk with people about the puddle. Do we allow guilt to motivate you to get back on the right path rather than allowing shame to paralyze in you? And what I mean by that is a lot of times when I'm talking with people and they've done something they feel like is wrong, they're like, man... I'm the worst, dude. I'm just the worst Christian who ever lived. It's like this puddle, and they want to sit in this puddle. And it's like, God could never use me because I'm, I'm horrible, dude. I, I, I can't be used. I'm, I'm horrible. In a weird way, can't you guys see that, again, that's just another weird way of being selfish? It's all thinking about yourself and how bad you are. When the biblical definition of repentance is simply, oh, yeah, I was going one way, that was wrong. I was recognized now that that way was wrong, and now I'm going to be motivated to turn around, to get back in the fight, and to go to the way that God wants me to go. Number three is forgiveness. Forgiveness is realizing that God does not want to throw you away like yesterday's garbage. But instead, he forgives you so that he can restore you to who you are truly meant to be. 
And so this is when we get into some, some more weird stuff in kind of Christian culture and church culture. Do you guys do this? I think this is very common. When you messed up, do you think, man, I'll just pray more. I'll knock out a few daily verses. I'll, I'll read my Bible a little bit more. I'll go to church on Sunday, and then I'll be back right with God. It's like, I was, that what I did last week or last night was horrible, but I'm going to pray a little bit, read a little bit, you know, go, go to church, and I'll be good to go. I want you guys to see that that is the anti-gospel. That is the opposite of the Christian gospel. Very much so, like, I hear stories, I've not experienced this personally, but of little old ladies on their deathbed saying, man, I just hope that I've done enough to go to heaven. Well, I got news for you, little old lady. You didn't. You didn't do enough to go to heaven because none of us ever could do enough to go to heaven. Because it's not on us. Jesus has forgiven us our sins, and that is the Christian gospel. It's not about me. If, there, if I try to work my way into heaven or work my way into forgiveness, it's not going to work. The only thing that we can do is accept the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and put our trust in His name and blood that covers us. That is our only ticket into heaven and into a new life on this earth. And the last is a very simple kind of biblical definition of reorientation. So baptism, if you're familiar with it, cool. If not, real simply... Baptism is simply dying to yourself and being raised to a new way of doing things. It's this symbolic act with water. And so we go into the grave of water, dying to ourselves, dying to the fact that, hey, this life is not about me. So we die to that way of thinking. The water symbolically washes off our sins, so we're forgiven of sins. And then we are raised, just as Jesus was, to a new life, a new life and way of following God and honoring God with this new life. And that is the biblical definition of baptism. And so, kind of in conclusion here, Israel's hope after that whole story, Israel's hope for the Messiah is the same for us. We're all looking for a better day. A better year. We're desperately trying to find things that will give us just that. But what John says here is, man, turn your eyes towards Jesus. Reorient your life towards Jesus. What you're searching for and what you're chasing after is Jesus. So I don't know if, if we know the real Messiah or if we just know that bumper sticker, bumper sticker version of Jesus. Because Jesus came to change your life. He came to call you out of darkness and to change you through the power of His Holy Spirit. Not from the outside in, but literally from the inside out. Because Jesus is not this three-point list to a better life. He's not another self-help fad. Jesus came to forgive you and to change you from the inside out. And he's inviting us to be with him in his kingdom. So I'm going to lead us into a time of communion now. We usually don't do it this way, but we're going to lead straight into communion. 
So uh, if you guys want to get your uh, bread that represents the body of Jesus, I'm going to say a prayer for it and maybe give you some time to reflect on that.